Open up your Bibles, guys, to Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to continue in our study that we've called Plan A, and we're going through the book of Acts, and we're going to be continuing through it until Easter, and we're going to be hitting on uh, main themes, main passages that we believe are, are very relevant to, to the, the time that our church is in, a season of renewal, a season of asking God, what does he want to do in us, and what does he want to do through our church specifically? And so up until this point, we've experienced some amazing things. And I wish that I could go back through and, and read the book of Acts for the first time again, because every chapter is like they encounter a, a, a crazy hardship. And then at the end, it's like, but they continued to grow and numbers were being added, or they praise God that they encountered a hardship or praise God that they suffered shame. And I just keep reading it. And I'm like, yes, it makes me so excited what God did in the early church. And it makes me excited for what God can do and what he's going to do through our church today. And so in the first few chapters, we read of the resurrected Jesus commissioning his disciples. They become apostles. And and then we move into chapter two and the Holy Spirit descends on them, falls on them and empowers them to boldly proclaim his word. And after the first sermon Peter preached, it's like a tongue twister, thousands of people were added to the numbers. And the church continues to experience this massive growth. And, and the problem we encounter is, is really in light of that growth, they start encountering some internal difficulties. So we experience the, the goodness of God and the power of God in these first few chapters, but we also see some, some attacks of the enemy, of Satan really, to stop the church, to really kind of stamp out what, what God had started, the fire that was spreading He wanted to constrain it to stop it before it left the walls of Jerusalem and continued on to the rest of the world like Jesus promised it would. And so a few of those are are the disciples are arrested, put on trial. They're flogged by the authorities. Those are external opposition that the early church experienced from the outside. And there are also some internal struggles that they experienced. The first we read about was Ananias and Sapphira. And and Rob preached on the severity of sin. They tried to lie to the Holy Spirit and it was causing an issue in the church. And and so they experienced internal struggles or opposition, if you will, as well. Each instance is the enemy attacking the church, but every time he attacks, the church answers empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit. We have multiple texts telling us how the church continued to grow and it creates in me just an excitement and excitement for what God is going to do for us. And I just want to say that the book of Acts tells us how the church grew during and despite the hardships, the persecutions they encountered and that they endured. Nothing can stop what God wants to do. Not internal problems, not external problems. If we obey, God is going to use us like he did the early church. So this is my hope and prayer for us. And I want you to think about this as we move into the message. My hope and prayer for us is that nothing we encounter together, whether internal or external, will stop what the Spirit of God is doing in us and through us. If you are following along with notes, my my outline is pretty simple today. It's problem, solution, continued growth. Three parts. Problem, solution, continued growth. And I think within each of these sections, there's a lesson for us. So we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about how we apply that. So like I said, in this text, they encountered an internal problem. 
an internal struggle. And it was caused by the growth that they had experienced. But by the power of the Spirit, the gospel advanced and continues to advance despite the internal status of the church. There were things going on that weren't great. But the first verse starts with numbers were being added. They were increasing. And the last verse of this section, verse 7, ends with the same thing. The gospel continued to spread despite verses 2 through 6. And that's the power and sovereignty of our God. He uses us even though we're imperfect vessels. And I love that. Praise God that he does that. So the issue we're talking about today is dissension. Dissension, disagreement, discord. In in relationships we experience, in church we experience it, the early church experienced it. And that's what we're going to be hitting on. And specifically, the word in your Bibles is, is, uh, I believe NASB says, Murmuring, correct? Complaint. Murmuring is other translation, complaint. But the Greek word is gogosmos, and we're going to discuss what that means today. But dissension, I want you to think of it on this line. Disagreement that leads to discord or conflict. Disagreement that leads to something deeper, that leads to a further hurt. We're going to counter disagreement, but our disagreement's not always going to lead to dissension it grows and it grows into something deeper and more hurtful and more catastrophic. Dissension has the potential to either unravel a church or a relationship, to unravel it, or as we read in the text today, to unleash a church for greater ministry, greater unity, and for continued influence. So when we discuss dissension, it's a powerful thing. It can unravel or it can unleash. And we have a text today that tells us how we can allow God to unleash us when we experience disagreement like they did in this passage. And one thing I noticed that I want you to think about again as I teach, it required two things to get through this passage, two main things. The first is the spirit of God. To get from verse one to verse seven through verses two, Two through six, the problem, the issue, it required first the spirit of God. Everything we do, we can't accomplish apart from the spirit of God. The second thing that this passage required, the first spirit of God, the second is it required the entire congregation. It was everybody together. It was the church dependent on the spirit of God to guide them through what they were experiencing. And I want you to think about this morning um, as, we, as we teach. And the word that's used for congregation there literally means multitude. It sounds like more than one or two people, right? It sounds like a lot of them working together. And so I want you to think that anything we encounter as a church, it requires the spirit of God and it requires the entire congregation because we're all a part of this church. And I want you to think as well, if you are taking up a seat this morning, we want you to be a part of what God is doing in our church and through our church. And our job as leadership is to equip you guys so that you can be unleashed to do the work of God in this world. So like I said, my outline today is simple. Problem, solution, continued growth. And I want to talk about the problem. So it opens up and it says, now at this time. So in Acts 5, it's referring back to Acts 5. What we see is Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the spirit and, and they are struck dead. It was a very serious sermon. Um, and then at the end of Acts 5, they're actually arrested again. And they experience a flogging, a beating. But then they go away and again, they continue to preach and spread the word of God. 
And so it says, now at this time, so they had just experienced an internal problem, Ananias and Sapphira, an external problem, the flogging, the arrest, the beating, and now they're back to another internal problem. But it was at this time, problem, 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 that God continued to work in the world and through the church. So it was at this time, it says, a complaint arose against the Hellenistic Jews towards the native Hebrew Jews. A complaint. Like I said, the Greek word there is gogosmos. Gogosmos, I want you to listen to this because I think we're all guilty of it at some point. And if not, you are lying. I wasn't joking. It says, gogosmos literally means a secret displeasure, not openly avowed. A displeasure not openly avowed or mutterings of those who confer secretly together mutterings of those who confer secret together. But none of you guys ever do that. We're the church, right? There is no perfect church. There are no perfect leaders. We're a bunch of broken people, a bunch of sinners sitting in a room together, doing life together. We will experience this. We will have disagreements. We will have complaints. We will have frustrations, maybe against somebody else in the body, maybe against somebody in leadership, but we don't have to allow those things to hinder what God is doing in our church. So a complaint arises against the Hellenistic Jews, against the native. So the Hellenistic Jews are saying, hey, our widows, they're being left out in the daily portions of food. But the native Hebrew widows are getting their portions. So there's something happening there. And they were frustrated. They were upset about it. I mean, they wanted their widows to get the food, right? That's not something bad to want. So what happened here is there was an administrative problem due to the growth of the church. The church likely could have been up to 20,000 people at this point. And as far as we read, as far as we know, it was the apostles kind of leading everything. And guys, a reality of the early church was there was an ethnic, cultural, racial, whatever you want to call it, attention amongst the church. So the Hellenistic Jews were Jews who grew up outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem. They grew up in Greek-speaking countries. They grew up in culturally Greek countries. So they were very much culturally Greek Jews. And so they said, hey, our widows are being left out and we don't like it. And we see that the native Hebrews are taking care of their widows. They are, they are giving the food to their widows. So the native Hebrews, they're the hometown Jews. They're from Jerusalem. They are from Israel. They're very much like native Nashville folk. They don't like all the transplants coming in and messing with the traffic and ruining life. How many transplants are in here? Stand together. <laughs> but really, there was this tension, and part of it was a language barrier. How many of you guys have ever experienced a language barrier? It's the most awkward thing in the world. You can't get around it. Like, you literally can't communicate to a person besides like, huh, yeah. My wife and I lived in Nepal for a while, spoke very little Nepali. We found ourselves in a village hours and hours and hours beyond the city limits, and nobody spoke any English, but we had a translator. We were distributing Bibles, and we were uh, teaching and, and um, spending time with the church there. And Bree and I found ourselves, without the translator, invited to a house. And we're sitting there on the floor, we're, you know, drinking some tea and having a little snack. And it's just, oh man, it was like the worst 15 minutes of my life. I can talk to anybody. You guys, you guys sense that. I run my mouth all the time, but I didn't know what to do. So it was just like, That's what 
a lot of the early church experienced. They were united in mission. They all loved each other. In Acts 2 and Acts 4, we see they wanted to take care of each other's needs, but there was this tension. And I don't know how much of it caused this problem today, but when I study the text, I see more of an administrative issue. They had grown, and it doesn't matter how well a church is run, how well they have their organizational structure thought out, and how well they have everything down to a T, something is going to get missed. Somebody's going to get left out of something. And I think that's what was happening here. So the problem was the Hellenistic Jews said our widows aren't being fed. But the problem goes deeper because they didn't handle the problem well. Instead of saying, hey, we have a disagreement. Let's take it to leadership. Let's be kind to each other. Let's handle it together. Gagasmas. They had a secret displeasure and they weren't telling the right people. The word can be translated as kind of behind the scenes, behind the curtain talk. Talk that you're not letting out in the open because you know it's not right. So they were complaining to people who couldn't help them at all. (laughs) Never done that. I'm a pastor. But that's what happened in the early church, guys. And that's what led to this, this, this issue they encountered. So the problem was simply they had grown and there were widows being left out. And I want you to know that, that caring for widows is something that they took very seriously in Jewish culture. There were many widows in their culture and, and, and most of them couldn't, couldn't provide for themselves. They married young. Maybe their spouses died. Maybe they were divorced and they couldn't care for themselves and for their children. So the, the church, the, the, the Jews uh, took that very seriously and they had a pretty intricate system to do so, weekly portions, daily portions for some. And um, they wanted to honor that. So we see in the heart of the church, they wanted to care for each other's needs. I don't think that changed. I don't think it was like, we're going to leave the Hellenist out because they're different. I don't think that was their heart. But I think that as they grew, it just became an administrative problem. And the apostles could no longer manage everything that was going on. And so something had to change. And Lloyd worded it well when he preached on the text at Brentwood. He said, murmuring is the foot in the door through which dissension gains entry. So instead of handling it well, they murmured. They started talking to people that couldn't do anything about it just to vent, just to speak their peace. And it became something deeper. It grew and it grew and it grew. And the point I'm making is this. Murmuring is not good. You came to church to hear that. Murmuring's not good. And it can grow into so much more and lead to horrible things. Murmuring is not good. It can grow into so much more and lead to horrible things. It can unravel relationships. It can unravel churches. It can unravel families. When disagreement, dissension, isn't handled biblically, isn't handled well. And the way that it grows, it reminds me of a Yoda quote. It's happening. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to the dark side. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. That's exactly, sorry, babe. My wife's like, my wife's like, oh. Pretty sure she told me not to do that. Um, But when I thought of what happens with dissension, with disagreement, it keeps barreling into something deeper. It's like James 1 says, our evil desires keep growing and growing and growing in us until they lead ultimately to death. The disagreement, the complaining spirit you have in your heart, don't leave it. Don't just push it aside. 
Don't complain to somebody else. Handle it so it doesn't keep growing and growing and growing into dissension that can lead to the unraveling of relationships and of a church. So the problem was dissension because the widows of the Hellenistic Jews were being left out. So I want to talk about the solution because it's great. What did the apostles do to handle it? First, in verses two through six, the first thing they did is they gathered everybody together. I love that. It it was a problem of people talking behind backs and speaking to the wrong people. So I said, hey, let's get the congregation together. Now we're all 15, 20,000 of them there. I don't know, but the word is multitude. So that says there were a lot of people there. They said, let's bring this problem out into the open and let's handle it together. So no more secret whisperings, but they wanted open discussion. And I love that. So ultimately, when you think about it, this complaint was against the apostles. It wasn't really just against the native Hebrews because the apostles, they were in charge of this formed care ministry for the widows. They were in charge of everything at this point, as far as we know. And so it was their leadership that had caused this issue. And so essentially, we can view this as a criticism of their leadership. And so the apostles gather everybody together and they say, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God and to serve tables. When I first read that as a kid, I was like, man, they think that it's beneath them to be a waitress or a waiter. That's not the case at all. They're simply saying that they have been called to the ministry of the word to preach and to pray. And that is their primary ministry. And they can't let anything take place of that primary ministry or deter them from that primary ministry. They were called to the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. And so they're simply saying that they can't effectively do all of these things. They can't effectively preach. They can't effectively spend time in prayer like they need to while they're trying to manage this care ministry to care for the widows. All of them were honorable and valuable places to serve, but the apostles could no longer manage it all. And so they called everybody together and they said, it's not good for us to leave our primary calling to do this. So what we're going to do is have you guys select seven men, seven men to take this ministry over. And really what they're saying is we're not crushing it right now. Obviously people are not getting their food. We need people in our body filled with the spirit to rise up, take this place of leadership and do a better job than we are with it so that we can focus on preaching the word like God has called us and and praying because we can't do anything apart from prayer. This is spirit discerned and empowered delegation. Simply put, this is delegation. And delegation is found throughout the Old and the New Testament. Jethro gave the same lesson to Moses. You need people to help you. And when we see something in the Old and the New Testament, we need to focus on it. It's a lesson that God wants us to see. And I think that uh, a lesson that you need to hear today, and I definitely need to hear, is this. You can't do it all. You can't do it all. You cannot do it all, and you don't have to. Praise God. I want you to look around. You don't have to do it all because we're all here together, arm in arm. We're a team effort. We're a family. And that's what you see in Acts chapter 6. The apostles say, look, There's 12 of us and we're growing and we've obviously left out the Hellenistic widows. We need help. We need help by people who are empowered by the spirit to step up and take this over so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do. The first church I ever worked at was a small church. um, And I was a 24-year-old young buck pastor, wanted to do it all because I'm so old now. Um, (laughs) 
I'm turning 28 next month, okay? <laughs> but I was working at this church while I was also a full-time teacher at a school. And I preached every Sunday. I taught Sunday school before I preached. I taught the Wednesday night small groups. I cut the grass. I unclogged the toilet, painted the walls, planned events, changed the words on the sign, like everything. And I'm not bragging. It's the opposite. I'm saying, hey, I was a really immature leader and I didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't use the tool of delegation in my church. And because I didn't understand what this text is about and what's funny, I actually was teaching through Acts and I skipped this passage. Who needs a sermon on delegation? (laughs) But what happened was while I was busying myself with all these things because I defaulted to thinking I had to, my busyness led to unhealth in my life, my marriage, my family, and ultimately the church. So what delegation does is it really cares for people and, and, and guards against things. Because delegation takes care of the people who are in need. In this passage, they need a delegation to care for the widows properly, to show them God's love, to give them the provisions they needed. And, and, and delegation leads to caring for the church because delegation allows people in the body to use their gifts and be a true stakeholder in the ministry. And it also cares for and, and guards the leadership. Delegation protects the leadership and allows them to focus on the main calling God has for their life. Guys, the lesson for us in this part of the story is, is we need each other. God has given us each other. We are arms, we are legs, we are business people, we are servants, we are moms and dads who God has called us all together to carry out his mission The leaders of this church and the staff of this church can't do it on our own. We can't do on our own what God has called us all to do. And to get from verse one to verse seven, it required the Holy Spirit and it required the entire congregation. And for us to get from where we've been, where we are to where God is calling us to, it's gonna require those same two things, the Holy Spirit and all of us together using the gifts God has given us. So they call them together and they select seven men. The body selects seven men to carry out this area of ministry that the the apostles had been leading. And like I said, the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of scripture affirms the idea that we need each other, that we aren't meant to function on our own. And we all have different roles and all our necessary functions in the church. So there's three qualifications. That's six. There's three qualifications that they give for these men. And these qualifications aren't like, hey, they need to be really good preachers. They need to be great administrators. They need to be really smart accountants. They're all really expressions of the work of God in their lives. The, the qualifications the apostles give are they need a good reputation. A good reputation. They need to be in good standing with people in the body because they're living out what God is doing in them. And second, they need to be full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit so far in Acts is really meant, man, they're emboldened by the Spirit to go and do the work of God. It's like Peter in Acts 4. He can't not speak about Jesus. Full of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and then full of wisdom. And you've probably heard it said wisdom is is applied knowledge. Wisdom comes from God. So all of these things, these qualifications, are really expressions of the work of God in somebody's life. They needed men who God was working in and through. 
Guys, our church, we need people that God is working in and through. And maybe you don't know your specific gifting or your specific ministry, you know, niche, niche, is that the right word? Niche. But we all have the ability to be people filled with the Spirit, good reputation, full of wisdom, because God wants to work in us like he did in these men. So there were three qualifications. So the problem was the widows were being left out. There was dissension. And so the apostles said, let's get everybody together and let's select seven men who can then oversee this ministry. So after they did that, the result is here. And we're going to call this continued growth. This issue is sandwiched between two proclamation of the Lord's work. And I love that. You have this tension, this ethnic cultural, like, hey, the Hellenist, Hellenistic Jews are being left out, but the native Hebrews are, are being fed. And there's this tension. And you would think that it would cause something deeper in the church. But after they handled it, man, with guidance from the Spirit and, and by men filled with the Spirit, in verse 7, I want to read it because it's amazing. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So three things happen as a result of this disagreement, di- dissension, gogosmos, whatever you want to call it. Three things. And it's exciting. The word of God kept on spreading. It's like a fire in Jerusalem that can't be put out. And it's making its way further and further into the world. The word of God kept on spreading despite this internal issue the church was experiencing. Second, the number of disciples increased. More people were being added to the church. It's amazing how quickly the early church was growing by the power of the Spirit. And third, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I love that that's added in there. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These priests were dedicated to the law of Moses, to the law, to carrying out functions dealing with the law and the old way, how things have been. And so many of them were holding on to that. And so many priests were the ones who were directly involved in the trial of Jesus, right? They hated him. They wanted him dead. And we don't know which priests these were specifically, but it says a great number of those people were becoming obedient to the faith. We're following Jesus. This is my hope and prayer for how God uses our church. That people who were dedicated to one way of life and one way of of preferences and one way of living would give everything up to follow Jesus and become obedient to the faith. So I want to talk about three lessons that we can learn from the whole text. From the problem, here's what I believe we can learn. Dissension can't be avoided, but it can be handled well. Like I said, we're a church full of broken sinners. We all have preferences. We all have biases. We all have things in us that aren't great. But by the grace of God, we can handle dissension well when it arrives and God can continue to use us. It was inevitable back then and it still is today. This doesn't excuse it. It doesn't mean we we become okay with it, but it shows us it will come and must be dealt with biblically so that a minor issue doesn't grow to overtake our main calling and mission as a church in your heart or expressed in the way that we're living and, and loving each other. It is not possible apart from the spirit that Jesus has both promised and provided us. Nothing we do as a church is possible apart from the spirit that Jesus has 
promised us and provided us and who is giving us the strength to be here today. Praise God that he uses us despite our brokenness. So the second thing, and this is with the solution, I want you to hear this again. No single one of us can do everything or is supposed to do everything. Rob Sweet's not supposed to do everything. Eric's not supposed to do everything for Fellowship Franklin. You're not supposed to do everything. We're all part of a family functioning together, helping each other, being here for each other, supporting each other. That's the way that God has designed his church. We're a family team. Whatever God has called us to, personally, we have to guard that primary calling, trusting that he's provided other people to take care of the other areas of the church that need tending to. You know, the most common measure of church growth, I think, is, is numerical growth. How's the church growing? Well, they went from 4,000 to 4,400, or, you know, they went from 4,000 to 3,700, so there must be a lot of unhealth in the church. But I think a good way to measure church growth isn't just numerical growth, but discipling and equipping the believers who are there and supporting every current member of the body. We need each other. We need each other. And our desire as leadership of Fellowship Bible Church is for our body to be unleashed in the same way that the members of the early church were, that we could equip you so that you can go out and do the same thing that the, 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 the church members in the book of Acts were doing. So the first lesson, um, the first lesson, dissension can't be avoided. It can be handled well. No single one of us can do everything or is supposed to do everything. And what I want to say about the solution, the continued growth is this. The church, our church, we can't allow problems, whether external or internal, to halt or alter our priorities, our primary calling. Because we see that God can still bless our efforts, even if we have internal struggles, even if we have dissension and problems. If we are obedient to God, he can still use us And as a church, we can't allow any of these things, just like the early church, persecution, flogging, beating, abuse, dissension, any attack of the devil to halt or alter what God is doing in us and what he is doing through us. And you know what? You never know what God is doing in the middle of our problems. Because in this text, I see two men, Stephen and Philip, and they were two of the seven men selected to handle this oversight issue. And later in the book of Acts, they become these pillars, these rock star preachers who spread the gospel like so few have. And it all started because they were chosen to serve tables. They started serving in an area and God used that and grew them to be these great preachers. You never know what God is doing in the middle of our problems. So the application, there's two things. The application, how do we walk away with this text today? What do we do with it? How do we live it out? First, I think, is there a murmuring or complaining spirit in our hearts this morning? Do we have a little bit of that gagasmas in here? Do you have it? And, and what are you going to do with it? Are you going to let it fester and grow and grow and turn into something deeper and more hurtful? Or are you going to handle it biblically? Are you going to bring it out to the open, confess that thing? So that's the first. Is there a murmuring or complaining spirit in your heart this morning? And I would encourage you, this as an opportunity to confess it Don't allow it to grow anymore. Don't allow it to frustrate you or to hinder you from serving anymore. And the second is this. Find a place to serve. We need you. 
And guys, there are plenty of places in this church to serve. Plenty of places outside of our church, in the local community, in the world to serve. You are a part of this body. You're a part of the church. And like I said, if you're in a seat, we want you to be equipped. We want you to be unleashed to do the same type of work that Philip and Stephen and Peter and Paul did in the book of Acts. And we have ways to help you guys do that. We have uh, year one discipleship, which is a great way to grow in your understanding of grace and the gospel and to learn more about your identity in Christ and to learn about what idols you might have in your heart. It's a great way to grow. And we also have year two discipleship, which is a great way to learn, you know what, where will I fit best in ministry? Am I a teacher? Am I a servant? What is it? And it helps you understand that and equips you to live that out. And we're starting a a student leadership team for the same reasons. We want to disciple students so that they can then be equipped and unleashed to disciple other students. So the first is, is, is there a murmuring or complaining spirit in your heart? And I want you to really, man, ask God to search you and reveal to you what might be in your heart. And the second is, if you're not, find a place to serve. And you know what? We have... uh, explore class. We have connect. I would encourage you to come to our next connect event so we can plug you with ministry leaders and we can connect you to places that you can serve and grow in. As the band comes up, I just want to end us with this. And this is just a a truth that just ties us to this passage. First, Jesus died so that we could be one with God. Jesus died so that we could be one with God. That's, that's, part of the beauty of the gospel. He died so we could be one with God. And because we can be one with God, we can be one with each other. We can be a unified church despite our differences, despite our disagreements. Because of the work of Jesus in our lives and the power of God and the power of the Spirit, we can live and work and function as one body. There will always be more problems to encounter. There will always be more problems, more dissension, more complaints, more grumbling, more murmuring, more gagasmas. There will always be more problems we encounter. But like in this passage, my hope is that we face these together. We face these together, guided by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Just remain standing. As always, we have our prayer team up here after service. If you guys just want to pray with somebody, have somebody pray over you, I would highly encourage you to come uh, to to my right side of the stage, your left, and uh, talk with somebody from our prayer team. As we leave, I want to read a scripture as a a blessing over us. It's just a reminder of, of what God can do through us and with us. This is 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace and have a great, great day, guys.